left, right. Yo, what's up guys? I feel right now like everybody hates their landlords. Uh, and that drives me a bit nuts because I know a lot of landlords. Uh, I briefly was a property owner and I've been a renter for a very long time. What drives me nuts is that there's just so much aggression, especially, I don't think landlords hate tenants. Obviously they know they need tenants, but tenants hate their landlords. So it's driving me nuts. I've been following a lot on Twitter, this cancel rent and the just basically hang your landlord type culture. Um, so I have a real estate attorney on today who also knows and works for a lot of landlords and tenants. So I thought she'd be a great person to have on with James and I to discuss kind of the factors at play and really shed some light so both renters and property owners and single family homeowners get a full perspective on the situation. So listen, let me know what you think. See ya. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 some weird Facebook issues, but the endpoint API, what? If you guys at any point think of a good title for this episode, let, let me know in like the chat or something. All right. I'll come up with some ideas as the episode evolves. <laughs> All right. Looks like we are now live on Facebook. Give it just a minute to get live on some of these other platforms. I don't know what uh, what's going on here. So hang tight. Oh, come on, we just, we literally just lost this. All right. We're almost there. All right, well, it looks like we're live on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. This is episode 76 of Sip Talk. I'm joined today by Jamie. Uh, came real estate attorney. This is your fifth time on? I think so, yeah. I'm on, which is which is pretty cool. And that's at the top of the screen. I'm in the middle. And at the bottom of the screen, we have James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is an accountant, bartender, philosopher, referee. Uh, and Jamie, you are in Rochester, right? Rochester, New York? I'm actually in Buffalo right now, but I work in Rochester. Buffalo. Okay. Okay, cool. So today, Jamie, as a real estate attorney, uh, you're a great person to give us perspective into landlord ownership. And I, 
I am not a landlord, but I deal with a lot of landlords and probably a lot more tenants because we do a lot of rentals in New York City. And I'm constantly seeing landlords being painted as evil, which I don't necessarily, I have a very difficult time grasping how landlords are evil. I get bad landlords and that, that can be too, you know, that can be, there's a degree of evilness to just being a bad landlord. But um, I think like just kind of the regular expectation, you know, of rent is now being seen as, as evil and landlords are just getting a really bad rap. So I want to, I just, I want to get into property ownership. Uh, and a lot of people who listen want to invest and maybe buy property and, uh, and get into owning property and collecting rent. So I, yeah. I want to bring it in that direction. I got to ask you guys though, before we get started from the bottom, uh, geographically as well, James, what are you drinking? I am sticking with the Bush ice train tonight, keeping it light. That's good. That's good. I think you can have a lot of those walk away from this podcast pretty unfaithful, <laughs> uh, which is not, I've noticed when, when Jamie's on, uh, I usually do not walk away from this podcast on phase, which uh-uh. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know that, that we, example. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't watch these much after the air, so, you know, I have to edit them, but but I do kind of cringe when I have to edit the ones where we go on for, for 90 minutes or so. And, um, but I'm, I'm limited. Hey, I tried to help you on Tuesday. You weren't hearing anything of it. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm trying to limit <laughs> myself tonight. I pre-made one drink, uh, and then I got a little bit of scotch left. So Jamie, uh, uh, up on top, what are you drinking? Uh, just some vodka tea, Tito's and some Arizona iced tea at the moment. Interesting. Was that, was that kind of, was that pre-planned or you were just like, I got some vodka? No, that was like Tito's and what does it go with? Iced tea. Let's we go. need to introduce her to Firefly. <laughs> oh, so do you know what Firefly is? I don't. I am I'm like, I want to be a fan for it, but I also don't want to. I don't know where the internal conflict is, but it's sweet tea flavored vodka. Ooh. It's very, very sweet, which sweet tea is very, very sweet. And you could, you could just probably drink it right on, uh, it is vodka, right, James? Yeah. yeah and you it could just, it, it's almost in, fireball. In Buffalo, like if you walk into a bar and you just say vodka tea, it's very common. So like, that's interesting. If you could just. You could get, a, I've never, James, as a, as a bartender, is a vodka tea something you're familiar with? No, but nope. down, so here, up- down here, the, the, the firefly, like a firefly shot would be really common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I grew up on Long Island, and if I go home and I were to say vodka tea, they have no idea what I'm talking about. It's yeah. just, it must be a buffalo thing. Uh, the chicken wings are probably better up by you than uh, this is true. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I, on that note, I just, and then I want to hit the landlord stuff. There's, now, I notice in New York City, uh, there's a lot of pizzerias that don't serve fried food or chicken wings. Now, yeah. buffalo, buffalo wings come from, I mean, they're chicken wings, but they're named after Buffalo, New York, right? This is true. Yeah. <laughs> We're going down the Jessica Simpson, like, is it tuna fish or is it chicken? You realize this, right? <laughs> I'm not going there, but, but are there any pizzerias that, that don't serve chicken wings in Buffalo? No. Like, it's just like a side, it's like a side menu item, always. Always, right? Always. 
That's, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. um, you got to just go to Duff's. If you're coming up here, go to Duff's. Duff's is, is in like downtown. That's the chicken wing place. That's like the uh, the model of all wings as they should be. And and let me let me ask because this is a segue into the landlord thing. Downtown Buffalo, and and also down. So you live in Buffalo. You work in Rochester. Right. Okay. This is not still not clicked with me. I'll ask you again. I'm sure uh, in a couple months. Now the downtown area of both are those kind of rougher neighborhoods. Buffalo used to be, it's not anymore. Um, since they kind of fixed up the area around where the stadium and the waterfront is, it's actually really nice. Um, it's totally revitalized. Something when I moved up here 10 years ago, you would not want to go to, and now it's it's a place to go to. It's like a lot of breweries that opened and um, fun activities winter and summer. Rochester is definitely rough. Um, right. Rochester is not a place you want to hang out downtown. Really, but but you're saying Buffalo is as of recent. Uh, as of recent, it's um, I would equate it now to like a Cleveland. There's fun activities. There's things to do on the waterfront. Um, there's like a bridge that connects the where the north towns and the south towns, and they're talking about taking that down, which is kind of an eyesore, um, and doing something really fun with that. There's talk of moving the Bills Stadium there, so. Um, it's definitely youthful and, you know, a fun place to go out um, and not just geared towards like 18, 19 year olds anymore, which is what it used to be. It's actually like a, a fun place to go. So it's interesting that you compare it to Cleveland because it like Cleveland's really high up there on everyone's towns to visit these days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it has this reputation of being super fun. Like yeah. where do you want to go on vacation? Um, I was thinking Disney world, but you know what? Cleveland's a close second. <laughs> uh but, so so here's here's my question sure what, what and i could I, i'm trying to segue into the landlord uh realm here what do you think where do you think what caused the turn because my thinking is some investors some entrepreneurs who wanted to start some businesses like breweries or something um or you know somebody looking to do a brewery turn it into a cool restaurant um but starting on the industrial end but then just people buying property and actually giving a shit, which yeah. I, I think, and that's where I want to go with this. I think a lot of landlords actually truly do care and give a mm -hmm. shit, whereas they're painted as just evil, bad landlords. Yep. And, and, you know, these guys have put uh, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, mm -hmm. and again, depending on what type of landlord, and we'll get there in a minute, they put tens or hundreds of thousands of their own money into mm -hmm. revitalizing a building or a couple of buildings to put a dent in the neighborhood and the culture of the neighborhood. And I use that, I'm aware of me saying culture and people thinking gentrifying, but to a degree, somebody building a, you know, refurbishing a building, mm -hmm. there will be an element of gentrification that comes along with that, but also, they could just buy it and not do that, but absolutely. But but is that is that working against gentrification or is that like how do you you know you, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, and I think that there's um, you know for somebody like me, I'm a transplant. I didn't grow up up here. I came here ten years ago, and this wasn't a place I wanted to go and hang out downtown. And I think part of what made it that was this revitalization of 
lofts and buildings that were run down and um, unsafe areas where people invested money again. And when you invest in housing first, then you start to say, okay, you know, people are living here again. Let's open a restaurant. Let's open a bar. And all of a sudden it becomes, you know, a place that 10 years ago has now become a hotspot or um, like you used, a revitalized area. And I think what we've been saying as, you know, my landlord group is that enabled affordable housing to come back to these areas. Not everything is a loft that costs $3,000. In fact, most housing in at least the upstate cities that, you know, I travel to all the time, they are really affordable. I mean, you may find a really cool modernized industrial apartment for $700 up here still. So um, I think it's enabled the cities to turn the corner and to come back to life. And, and that's been lacking for a lot of years. Mm. Um, it's, it's funny because I'm seeing Manhattan descend in the opposite direction, which, you know, all this stuff is, you know, it runs its cycles, I guess. Uh, I don't, I'm not necessarily a believer of history repeats itself. I don't think necessarily, obviously there's going to be similarities and trends and ebbs and flows, but I don't think, I think I, just, I really don't like the phrase history repeats itself, but I definitely think on an economic level, cities, uh, you know, definitely kind of ebb and flow and the economies in the cities change a lot. But New York City, Manhattan specifically, and you and I have talked about this, uh, like the crime rate and the number of homeless people. And it's, it's just, it's why, and now, everybody every place is closing up uh i actually saw for the first time in many many months a new business open up and it's a dollar pizza shop and it and it's in place of a vitamin shop which you would actually think it would go the other way right like the vitamin shop or the bank of america mm. or you know the gap or something would be taking over the mm -hmm. joints but my guess is he probably has a very short term lease at a at a reasonable rate Sure. And, and the, you know, I mean, you know, the landlord has probably designed the lease so that it, he's going to jack it up and cut into the profits in a year mm -hmm. or two. We'll see. How in the world do you make a profit selling pizza for a dollar a slice in New York City? You volume. No, like volume only works if you have positive gross profit per slice. There's <laughs> there's been two pizzerias in the building that my office is located in, and in different retail spaces, and obviously you're not covering the bills with dollar slice. You're covering the bills with the pepperoni and all the add-ons. You know, you, you're lured in for a dollar a slice, which, you know, I think nowadays you should be lured in with the two slices and a soda for five. I think the dollar slice is really dooming these places because a dollar is, I, I could drop a dollar and walk away from it and, and be like, you know, there's a car coming, like uh, I'm in a rush. Like a dollar is, a dollar is the new like dime, you know? So it's it, just think about the little vending machines in the grocery stores. Like all of those are now like four quarters. So, and it used to be a dime. Um, so I don't think, I don't think the dollars, the model is gonna hold up. I think that, I think you're right, James, that's a, fl a flawed model, but, um, but I, the way you make the money, the answer to your question is on pepperoni and add-ons to the slice. And if not, the slice is a dollar, but pepperoni on that slice is another dollar or 75 cents. And you're getting two and a half pieces of pepperoni. So, um, 
So any, any particular things that you guys had in mind in terms of this landlord discussion? Because I got a whole bunch of notes. I, I'll start from the top, but I'm curious. Uh, I've got one response to something that you said where you were talking. I, I think that you are far too rosy in the way that you're portraying landlords where you're talking about in the example of Buffalo downtown, a place that I've never been, but it, it serves as an example is, well, they're going in and they're, they're single-handedly revitalizing this area and you're making it sound like they're doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Why does anybody get into real estate? Unless Make you were truly a charitable uh, like organization, which these mm -hmm. landlords are not. No, then it's, it's a profit perfect motive. It's a perfect model up here. So you buy property and this is what all my client base has done. And they're, they're not denying they're doing that, but it is helping build the cities back up. They buy property, they put a mortgage on it. They raise, you know, they rehabilitate it. They raise the rents up or, you know, start the rents high. They take the equity out by refinancing and buy another property. And they keep going like that. Um, things like the 1031 exchange enable that because it defers taxes um, on things like, you know, the, the gains that you get off of that property. So um, absolutely, if you're a true investor, your model is a for-profit model and it is to accumulate as many properties as you can, usually on the same street or in a vicinity so that you can manage those properties really easy by hiring a management company or doing it yourself you know, by going so, house to house. Also to your point, you took like, so the, the model of buy the property, put some work into it and then raise the rents way up. So that's the second thing that people really have an issue with is they come in and then all of a sudden a place, a, an area that used to be affordable now isn't. Well, and, look, listen, listen, you're, you're driving a 1992 Honda. Okay. You're not changing it. It's the building is the building. Okay. It was built in 1940 or 1976. Somebody's coming in, they're giving you a new paint job, they're replacing your engine, they're giving you new shocks, new tires. Are they going to keep your, your lease rate the same? So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, they're jacking the rent, but, but, what is, but would it be better if they just bought it and literally did very little, the bare minimum, just to keep the furnace functioning and and replace you know cracked it's what what my what drives me nuts is that there's so much pushback on somebody that does buy it put their money into it raise the rent now a lot of people buy property and jamie could probably attest to this buy property are appreciative to the fact that there are tenants there and raise the rent just enough so that person doesn't move out sure that sucks if you're the person that's living there but now you have a new sidewalk or a new entranceway or laundry in the basement or a parking spot. Um, I, you know, and I think obviously, yeah, it, it sucks. Somebody raises your rent, but what's the alternative? And it's usually not like most clients that I'm talking about, they're buying these houses at foreclosure without tenants and they're you know, buying it really low and then they're putting a ton of money into it. And when they set their rent, they're setting them at a, you know, at a place they're going to make a profit off of. When there's tenants already there, they're not going into that tenant's unit because they can't get in there to rehab it. So they may raise the rents um, a little bit, but their new laws that were passed last June really prohibit anything um, from being raised a whole lot without notice to the tenant that they're going to do so. And at that point, the tenant can say, I'm not accepting that 
new rate of rent. So um, there is- Yeah, but then they have to move and moving sucks. Not always. I mean, they can contest it. It goes through court if they contest it, but at least they get- they get notice of it. They're not just going to be like, here's your new rent and sorry, live by that. But, you know, it depends where you are. And I think, Justin, to your point, that gets to, is every landlord bad? Is every landlord the same? Or are we talking about regional discrepancies where, you know, upstate it may be, okay, they're raising rent, but they're raising it like two to 3%, which is like less than 10 bucks. Or are we talking about New York City where, you know, it's going to be something where one day you're paying 1200 and the next they're asking for 1500 Like, th- there's a big difference sometimes. So l- let me just ask, and, and you, Jamie, may know this better than I do. Maybe you don't. Uh, and maybe the three of us, because James is in a different region. We're all in different regions. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I also, I know the apartment that James is in, because I lived, I lived there, what, when was it, 12 10 to 12 years ago? Uh, thir- 12 and a half years ago, and you're here for what, a year and a half, two years? So a little, yeah, like two and a half years, so a little over two years. Um, so, but, and you're in a complex. Uh, no. So what are the majority, and maybe we don't have numbers in this, but what are the majority of landlords? Are they, you know, two family home owner and they live in? Are they the basically the the smaller time investor that we're talking about? Are they large corporations? Are they somewhere in between the the second and third? What is the majority? I'm I'm just curious. And do you know? Yeah, we actually just took a survey um, because the legislature was asking us. So we took a survey of 500 landlords upstate. So everywhere from um, just like the Orange County area all the way up through Buffalo. So almost all of upstate you can speak to on the numbers. Um, The majority fell between 11 to 51 units. Okay. And would you, 51 units. Mm -hmm. So that's not 51 buildings. Correct. So, I mean, I think, and again, I don't, I don't think that that's a very profitable range to be in especially yeah. now with the new laws. And it sounds like a lot, like it sounds like that's yeah. the same amount of property that you own. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that a lot of people understand the true cause of ownership. And my, you know, my response to that would, would basically be like, well, why don't you just go buy a place, you know, and somebody to a renter? I yep. don't think people, you know, and then you're like, well, I can't because it's down. Well, no shit. Like that's, these people have to come up with all this money and they're leveraged. Uh, you know, I, someone who runs a business and we don't have major assets like real estate, I'm still super leveraged and we don't even really have cost of goods sold, you know, right. things like that. So, so I, as a business owner who, who runs a very low overhead with very few assets, have an insane amount of leverage on me. Right. Um, so well, you know, property ownership is, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's just gonna say, it kind of depends what you own, right? If you own 50 single homes that are, you know, full size family homes, you could have 50 roofs that in a year you have a problem with. And all of a sudden you have this catastrophic capital expense. If you have one building that's got 50 units in it, it may be actually less overhead to you. So it, it just depends how that's broken out. Yeah. Um, do you think that, you know, let's say the 20 to 50 unit, do you think that's a profitable place to, do you think, are we talking you're driving a brand new high-end vehicle and you live in a very, very nice home? 
or like just kind of, I, I'm curious if you could paint the picture of the, and so you're saying the majority of landlords in New York state, discounting Long Island and New York city, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, and New York, even discounting Long Island and New York city, I would say James and I are both from upstate New York. You have a pretty wide range there, mm -hmm. I would think, because you have some decent sized cities and then you have sure. a lot of suburban and even more super rural area in New York. New York's a very big state. Mm -hmm. um, but do you, could you paint me a picture? Is, is this person driving around in a 2021 Lexus or are they driving around in a Rolls Royce? No, yeah. none of that. Rover? None of that. Um, you know, if you take the average $800 apartment and you times it by 50, it's like another $60,000 a year that these people are making. So on rent, um, not bearing their expenses. So it, it, it's not something um, these people may have other jobs. It may be investment properties that have retirement plans for. Um, and that, that's just who took our survey. You know, that was the majority of people that responded. There are people that you know, like, like a dad, she owes like a hundred units. So you double that and maybe it's $120,000. I'm not sure year. where you're getting your math from here. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So 800 times 12 is 9,600 a year times 60 units, 576. There you go. Sorry, <laughs> not doing math right. But well, there's my, little my, <laughs> we're off right. Fire, fire the attorney from doing math always. Yeah, don't don't okay. ask an accountant to join in. So yeah, no, uh, but but let's talk. We didn't even get you didn't touch expenses. So I think I given you're off by a factor of ten, which which basically made your argument look <laughs> not good. Um, but but I think the expenses. Uh, so my the next thing I want to ask though is is when somebody wants to become a property owner and manage rental property, what are, and, and what are some things that they don't take into account? Well, certainly um, just take COVID, for example, um, maintenance expenses. I mean, you will, you can pretty much have your average turn the unit each time, you know, carpet expenses, painting, the salary of somebody that you're hiring, but you can't always anticipate a capital expense coming up. So, you know, the roof that leaks, um, a, a mold problem that comes up. So those I think are things people don't necessarily look at. Um, in COVID, the PPE became something that was critical because you had people in these properties who were testing positive for COVID. And all of a sudden you had to hire companies who were in, able to go in and clean things like the laundry room or make sure the mail room was, was done properly. Um, I think also the consideration of just how much to expect yourself to be catering to tenants. Um, it's an all day, 24 hour job. You're, you're constantly on call and some people just don't anticipate the level of responsiveness that's necessary. Yeah, I think, I think that's, so I just think of like scaling a company mm -hmm. and I, so in the natural growth of my company, which is a real estate business, um, but I don't, we don't own real estate property, we're a brokerage. Right. So we got to the point where the first employee I hired ate greatly into my profits or any money that I made. 
and I hired that person and I was losing money when I hired them, but that person allowed me to grow to a level where I was then making a little bit more money. Um, and then I hired another person who allowed us to grow, who was a huge expense. And I was actually in a lot of debt when I hired that person. Um, but they helped me get to an even bigger scale where they definitely paid for themselves. And then I hired another person who I couldn't afford at the time who helped us get to the next level. Now we were at that level, but I had to let everybody go effectively because of coronavirus and we just didn't have the revenue. Now they're gone and the business is at this scale that I can't manage single-handedly, but we're grown to that scale with that help. So it's a really difficult place to be for me to manage all these things, have my hand in so many pots and I, I can't be, I just can't give as much attention. And now our company is actually contracting because we're losing agents and I, I can't be there to do all this training. It's a tough, it's a tough spot to be. I, I think when it comes to buying rental property, that that demand right off the bat is both both time wise and like resources wise. You know, mm -hmm. people. Uh, you know, people. There's a leak, or the faucet doesn't work, or some bullshit like just stupid stuff. Like the window doesn't open, and then you go there, and you're like, "Well, it's, it's like I went over this with you on the phone. It, the window locked." You can come all the way over here, you know, claiming that like your baby couldn't breathe because you couldn't open the window, but the window was locked. And like, we went over this on the phone. Uh, or the toilet doesn't flush. It's like a constant, like there's something wrong with my bathtub. There's something wrong with my toilet. It's, it's, you know, this is the things we hear uh, landlords get frustrated with, or like when I get maintenance complaints, I'm like, they, you know, they breached the warrant of habitability. My bathroom didn't work. Well, how many times the landlord go over there? 15 times and every time it was because you clogged it. Like, I mean, these are problems that, that they're real life problems with landlords. And if you don't respond to it, you put yourself in jeopardy of, of being that bad landlord. So I grew up, obviously, you know, I, I've known Debbie the majority of my life and I helped, you know, do some like minor renovations, painting and helping flip apartments. But when I was a renter, there was a lot of things that I just took on and would handle on my own. They were minor issues, but like changing a toilet seat or a shower head or a minor plumbing issue or sealing a leak or fixing a doorknob or something like that, or replacing a doorknob, replacing the lock. And it's funny because I was talking to somebody today. We had a client. The client was overwhelmed and couldn't, the client needed to move by the end of the week which tomorrow is Friday. I don't know what day of the week it happened. Needed to move by Friday and went to look at an apartment, really liked the apartment, but was very overwhelmed, couldn't make a decision and needed to go home. And now is like screaming at us because she's running tomorrow's Friday and she's running out of time. And what I told the agent was like, it's a younger client, like mid twenties or something. What I explained to the agent was, um, you know, people, grow as children into adults and a lot of people don't there's there's it's a very weird transition to go from kind of child and taken care of to adult like there's certain things you learn you have to do on your own and then there's certain things that like they just you don't quite understand that you have to do um like regular maintenance on your car or something but when you're the, the when the car is in your parents name they tell you it needs to be done Right. 
Um, or like laundry. Laundry is something that like people when they move out of home, like realize right away, obviously it's something you have to do. But I think when you're renting, I, I'm trying to tie this in. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm, I'm going in a different direction. But when you're renting, I think a lot of it is you're just like, this isn't my problem. It is someone else's responsibility, which it is. Yep. It's not your problem. Well, it, no, actually, and I hate when people say this is my problem and it's obviously a problem they're having. It yep. is their problem. And yes, it is someone else's responsibility, but it will remain your problem until you can get that other person to step up. Sure. So you have to figure out you know, if you're willing to do it or if you're just going to complain and, and, and you know, maybe it gets done exactly when and how you want it or it gets done on the other person's time. Um, like right. And I think that goes to who's your landlord. You know, is it somebody local? Is it somebody who can come and get that done in a reasonable time? Or is that, you know, a corporate landlord who you have to call California to schedule an appointment in New York? And, and that's the levels we, we deal with that are different. Yeah. So, so James may remember a little bit of this, but remember, James, uh, before we moved to South Carolina, I had bought a two family house. Yeah. And can I just describe the, the let me frame this house in, in the location that it was and the condition it was in with one very quick story that you told me, but I think paints the, the right picture, which is <laughs> bought the house and very early on you went and started cleaning it out to start remodeling it and make it better for renting. And so you pull a whole bunch of trash out of the house and you leave it on the front yard with the idea of bagging it up and taking it to the dump the next day or whatever. So there's a small pile of garbage in your front yard. You come back the next day and that pile of garbage in the front yard is like three times as big because everybody else in the neighborhood dumped their garbage on top of it. <laughs> this uh, the house is in a very rough neighborhood. It was a it was a late 1800s Victorian style house. It was completely dilapidated. But in my young mind, I said, "Well, and this is where this is where I can sympathize with the downtown Buffalo people. There's so much character here." I can put the money, I can put the time, turn this around, make it beautiful. And obviously I'm in it to profit, but I've yes. chosen this place to profit and I want it to be a reflection of me on this place. Well, I worked for minimum wage at a gym and I was not in the financial place to do anything. <laughs> I got a little bit of inheritance. I spent all of the inheritance on the place. Um, and I put so much of myself and all of my time and just like blood, sweat and tears into this place. And I could not secure good tenants. Uh, everybody came to me with a sob story about how, yeah, their credit wasn't great, but this happened and this happened, but they're really good people or they had a dog or I had a you know, number of tenants that just came yeah. to me with some story. And, and, it, and you know, it, it all just completely went to shit. I might've, I may have been paid five or six months worth of rent over the duration of the three or four years that I owned the place. Oh. In, insane. But at a certain point, I had I had rehabbed the first floor. It was in perfect shape. I uh, had tenants there. I was working on the second floor and I was gonna live on the second floor, but then James and I moved to South Carolina. And then I was an absentee landlord, effectively. I had family in the area who were going to help me out, but effectively I was absentee and the string of tenants I had at that point moving forward completely just ripped apart. I mean, I had all these old like Ralph Lauren paint color schemes in the house. Somebody came through and painted it 
neon colors like oh, purple, no. <laughs> lime green. I'll have to. I'll have to. I'll have. To, I should just send you some pictures because it, yes. it, it, broke, it broke my heart. Uh, oh. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and I ended up. I sold it and I took a huge loss because I was losing money and mm -hmm. um, it was it was you know it was a bad bad situation and that's a really good segue so i have some of my really good clients who you know they they've done well for themselves in covid um because they're not getting paid rents anymore they are finding themselves in a scenario they've gone through their reserves they're going through their personal financial savings and now it's you know becoming dire we're, we're a year into this and they haven't gotten any rent and they're selling. And it's funny because we were just on the call this afternoon with Albany and it's like, who are they selling it to? And it's like corporate absentee landlords and they're selling it for $200,000, $300,000 below the assessed value of the property. Um, and, you know, hopefully COVID is going to go away soon and, and we won't see lasting effects on the real estate industry. But um, if that's the case, then these people are just going to turn around, have been, you know, enriched by a property that they paid $300,000 less than they should have for and get rents that will, you know, profit and make them, you know, pretty whole. So um, it's, it's definitely having effects on who will own property after this. Yeah. And Eric, have you, have you, and so this is, I, I see a lot of property reverting back to the state or the city or, or however that works. Are you seeing any of that because people haven't paid their property taxes? So not yet. New York put a moratorium on tax sales through May. Um, so it hasn't happened yet. And they keep pushing that deadline out. But um, I would anticipate that. I mean, we've we've had talks of tax strikes. And one of the reasons why landlords are not doing that now is exactly what you said. They know that, unfortunately, the, the penalty is going to be their house is going to put up be put up for a tax sale. So um, they're taking loans. They're trying to figure out, you know, the deepest resources they can they're leveraging properties against another so they may sell a building they own outright to to get cash to put back into our property with a mortgage to pay that bill um but they're definitely hurting um and and they've been asked to uh, pretty much become like the subsidy of the government at this point it's bad yeah they're still being asked to, i mean the moratoriums are insane because when when the switch because that will actually i feel like that'll be like a switch that is flipped. You know, everybody say, oh, you know, coronavirus is just going to go away. Like somebody's flipping a switch, it's going to be very slow. But when they, when the moratorium expires, that is going to be some crazy shit. That has, and, and I don't just mean for property tax. I mean for evictions and and, and things like that. It's it's going to be. I think there's just going to be blood in the streets, really. Like, so the question that I have, and I feel like a lawyer can answer this, is for a rent moratorium if you're, uh, and for an eviction moratorium, let's say I'm four months behind on rent. You can't kick me out right now. When that moratorium ends, am I still going to owe all that rent in arrears, or is that rent going to be forgiven? So basically, mm -hmm. so basically it's just I can't be kicked out right now, but there's nothing that's going to forgive that debt. Right. As of now, no, not in New York. No, um, the federal government, um, it, it had, there's conversation about a cancel rent bill at the federal level also, um, you know, for, for groups like mine where I represent landlords, um, but I'm conscious and, and very compassionate for the tenant side as well. Um, it would be really hard to swallow a cancel rent bill because 
again, you would be pushing out all these landlords um, who have gone a year without rent and they're never going to see it if you cancel rent. There's just no possible way unless the government would subsidize um, a voucher system where they would get paid by the government for any dollar that was forgiven for a tenant. So um, it's more that we're asking for, you know, like I said, a voucher program or um, a rent grant program where landlords can apply if they can show that they've truly lost money. Um, but no cancel rent bill exists currently in New York. So, so right now I feel like in the Twitter sphere, people like the cancel rent, you know, the hashtag cancel rent is yep. they want, and I feel like I don't, I don't get this. They want landlords to burn. Mm -hmm. So I think, I think if, if we, if, if you could get like some landlords and some people sitting at a table, like they'd be like, okay, let's, we should all together just push for some type of voucher system. Yeah. But when you, when they're anonymous and they're behind tweets and whether it's anonymous or not, you're still behind the tweet. This mm -hmm. cancel rent, I think is wild. It's and so dangerous. It, well, it's, it's, it's just, it's not, and I'm not saying anything in life has to be fair. We talked about right. this, the pet peeve thing. Somebody, what did somebody say, James? They didn't like, like injustice or something. And I'm just like, well, the fucking world is unfair. Like that's, <laughs> that's life. But if the government just is like, fuck you guys to the property owners who are the actual, so renters don't pay property taxes. Like schools are funded by the property owners. Okay, so, but on the other side of this, if you don't have people renting, then you don't have people living in a place and paying and, and, and earning wages and like stimulating the economy. So if you don't have really? renters, then you're not going to have people to generate income to be able to pay rent or be able to have withholding tax, sales tax, any of those other things. But this is, but so this it, is, it goes both ways here. And I, 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 maybe I don't, it's an orchestra. But if you uh, kick all these renters out and just say, all right, well, and nobody can afford to move in, then you're going to have no population. Sure. You, you, you can't just give it all the percussion and, right. and, and trumpets. You, it has to be the mm -hmm. flute, the clarinets, and the, you know, it, literally the penis. It needs to be this comprehensive solution. And right, right now, I, it's, it's crazy because I've always been so, so liberal, but then I'm just in a city where they're more liberal than I am. And I'm just constantly looking at the legislation, watching what's going on, and just with my jaw on the ground saying, how is this, this doesn't make any sense. And I feel like you have, you have politicians that come in and they really cater towards the rich. And you have politicians that come in and they just say, fuck the rich, Let nobody needs to pay rent right now. And I, I, I don't think that you should be evicting people right now because they shouldn't be, because they're not paying rent. But I don't think people should just be able to live rent free and sign a paper that, piece of paper that says, I've been affected by coronavirus, mm -hmm. I'm here for free. I don't think either one of those in, in any realm of like reality right. should, should even work. And yet those are, the, those are the two things we're looking at. We're looking at the cancel yeah. rent and then we're looking at the uh, the complete opposite of that, where landlords are just going to evict people when the moratorium expires and everybody's fucked. And well, you know yeah. they're, not their they're not getting their money back when these people are evicted. No, but then what's the solution? So like, we, you and I have seen New York be 
horrible before COVID. I mean, I'm walking down the street and there's crazy people all over the place and it was already turning bad and people were already leaving the city before um, Corona hit. But what what is the solution to that problem? So we cancel rent. Well, then who, you know, what do you, what do, you do with these people when there's not enough units to live in? Um, the, the homeless numbers are outrageous in New York and they were bad before and now they're crazy. Well, I, well, the solution is that there has to be shared sacrifice because if you're owning property and you're choosing to rent that property out, the risk that you're taking with this is you've got an asset backing whatever you have, but the risk is going to be the volatility of, of the nature of the rental business. So mm-hmm. when things take a downturn, that's a risk you took. And that's something that if you weren't prepared to deal with, then you shouldn't have been owning business in the first place. So However, there are laws in place that don't support that argument and you have to go by the laws, mm-hmm. right? But, so but I'm not going by the laws yet. I'm saying that like, we're, we're saying what's the solution and I'm framing, I'm framing the solution in terms of what the issues at heart are. And the first issue is whenever you go into a business venture, there's some assumed risk that you take by starting that business. The reward for that risk is profit, but they also, the risk is that you lose money if things don't work out for your business plan. And if your business plan is renting to people and the economy takes a shit and people can't afford your rent anymore, that was a risk that you took on with your business. Now, on the other hand, if you're a renter, then when you sign a lease, you're, you're agreeing to pay rent for whatever the term is. And you're getting a property and use of that property and everything. And the risk to you is that you're going to have to pay that money regardless of what your economic condition is. And so both people here took risks and an event happened that triggered both of those risks simultaneously. So the answer is shared sacrifice. The renters are going to have to be able to cough up some money at some point, And the landlords are going to have to accept that the thousand dollar a month lease that they got is not going to be realized. Should it be realized at zero? No, but I don't think it's fair for the landlords to say we should be made 100% whole as if COVID didn't happen because everybody suffered because of this. We don't get to pick and choose our winners and say, well, here's your thousand dollars a month in rent as if COVID didn't happen. Shared sacrifice. I think we're, we're all cool with that. Renters, owners, and just people who are not, like I'm not in that realm anymore. I'm not in that cycle. Um, but I was in the bank and I heard this guy, I didn't know if he was talking on the phone, talking to the teller from like five feet away or talking to himself. He was kind of loud. I didn't know what was going on. I was really curious where he was going, but he was talking about getting money, talking about paying rent, just kind of loudly. So after I finished my transaction, he finished his transaction. I just, I was curious what was going on because he didn't look like a crazy person, right? Like he looked like a normal person, but he's just talking loudly and it appeared he wasn't on the phone. So I just, I pulled, you know, I said, hey man, you know, you, uh, you rent in the area. And obviously I'm also looking at it, trying to get some business from the transaction. And he said that he works for like a theater staffing company or something like that. Theater is shut down. His office costs him 4,200 bucks a month. Um, his landlord, he hasn't been paying for a little while. His land, because his business is shut down. There's no Broadway. There's no theater in New York City. He hasn't been paying his landlord. Landlord's going to give him a deal. And here's what you're talking about, James. So landlord agrees to reduce his rent. The new lease is now 3,600. However, the landlord's expecting him to back pay, not all, but a portion of the rent 
at $500 a month. So now his new rent is $4,100 a month. Um, that's yeah, but the, but 500 of that is money that he he owed. He's getting a huge break. Sure, um, but it's not. But again, it's not as simple because we're not just flipping the switch. Now the theater is back and running, and his business is back to 100% income and whatever amount of profitability and ability to pay rent. So it's a very tricky. It's a very tricky situation. Like, oh, we have all the trumpets are over here. Okay, well, band doesn't sound right when there's no sound coming from over here. So let's just give the other side of the orchestra some trumpets. That's not you're not going to have you're not going to have an orchestra because it's all trumpets. It doesn't work by just this one kind of solution. It has to be this deeper. And 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 I do think that's where government needs to get involved, and there needs to be some type of voucher or subsidy program. Uh, but also, and this, we didn't talk about this, and I wanted to add this a few minutes ago, Jamie, you were talking about landlords getting PPP, or you were yep. we, we touched on it. I think you said PPE that they had to spend money on. Yep. I don't think that's a huge expense, but, but landlords aren't eligible for the Paycheck Protection Program unless they have employees, which most of them do not have hourly wage employees. And even if they do, that's not going to be making up the bulk of their expenses in the course of a year. Exactly. So now they can take out the EIDL, which I took out PPP for my employees. I exhausted that. I paid employees and I paid rent, which you're able to do. And then I took out EIDL, which I paid rent with. And I also had to cover our regular, you know, additional overhead that's involved in that. Um, but now the business has not returned. When I took those loans out, the PPP is forgivable, the EIDL is not. That was April or so last year, me thinking, you know, they told us originally it was going to be a two week shutdown. And I'm like, it's going to be a month if, if we're lucky. And then they, they extended it by a week or two. And I'm like, we're, this is two or three months minimum. And, and still as of today, restaurants are not allowed to be open in New York City. So wild that we're, we're at almost a year later, but they didn't, there was no, in no realm did anybody imagine this would be 12 months down the line. We wouldn't be even in the direction of recovery. Restaurants are more closed now than they were last year, yeah. um, especially in New York City. Now, when I took these loans out, I was, I was expecting not quite short-term fix, but not this long. So now I have giant loans that need to be paid back and the business is basically in limp mode. You know, I'm like, how long can we go without ordering another toner? How long can we go without refreshing the paper or servicing the printers? And, you know, stuff like that our business thrives on. So um, we're in a really tough place a year later having being in all this debt. So if landlords who are taking out these loans, it doesn't mean they're going to come back in the place that they were when they placed the loan, thinking they would get back there. So it's it's a really tough. It's a I, I, the whole reason. Here's the difference it. between the landlords and you, though, Justin. Well, is that they have property that's still the taxes accruing in the meantime. Mm -hmm. I don't know what else? But they doing? also have property that if they need to get out, they can sell the property and recover cash. See, they can't sell right now. That I think that's the problem. 
unless they're selling to another investor who's willing to take the hit of vacancies and no rent coming in, they're not going to get true value for the properties because no bank's financing multifamily right now at all with those vacancies. Um, and so they're either having to lower the value where it's really attractive that someone's like, all right, I'll take that, um, or they're paying cash and it's somebody who's lucrative still. Um, but that's the problem is your banks are just shying away from this right now because they know they're coming in with a situation where somebody can't cover the requirements for that loan. But also, Jamie, you're talking New York State. Yes. And would you say the smart investor dollars, and maybe you want to cover your ass on this, I don't know. Would you mm -hmm. say the smart investor dollars are being poured into New York State rental market? Um, I think for sure you're still seeing out-of-state investors invest in New York because I, I maybe not the city. I think at the, at the stop point is investing in real estate is still a good idea. So absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Because it will bounce back. Um, you know, if there's one thing I'm sure of, real estate can't go away. But what I was getting at is new laws. James, you don't have this in South Carolina, oh. but New York State, you can't check an eviction history no. on your, on your uh, applying tenants. No. And that is going to set somebody up. Let's just play this out, right? So somebody doesn't pay rent for a year because they didn't want to, because that's a truism. And we can get there in a minute as to why. That person has a $20,000 judgment. That judgment is good against their record for the next 20 years. They then recover out of COVID, go back to work. Guess what? They still have that judgment and their new landlord takes them subject to that judgment. Well, when the person figures out where they work and they start garnishing their wages, the new landlord's gonna stop getting the rent because the old landlord's gonna be getting the money. So it's a real problem, these interplay of laws. It's, yeah, and, and I think that's a, it, it almost, what you just said almost presents it, itself like something that is kind of obscure and does not happen often, but, I think people, you're a real estate attorney. Mm -hmm. I think people will be surprised how often that you deal with situations like this. Um, and and I had, I got a call this morning. Just wanted to, to share that I just finished this bottle that James gave me a very hard time. I haven't finished it, it's in the glass. James <laughs> gave me a very hard time about uh, still being drinking this four podcasts later. Um, so we had a client move into an apartment, the Upper West Side, nice neighborhood, and very strong applicant, limited credit history, but solid income, solid savings. Moved in in October and never paid rent. Paid first month in security deposit and never paid rent. And now it's February. The landlord's finally calling me saying, hey, is there any insight you can give us on this? What's going on? Um, and then called me back saying, we did some more research and it looks like a serious portion of the paperwork has been faked. The okay. documents are not real. And it looked, it was almost, it's funny because I actually saw the paperwork when we submitted it. I was like, oh, this is so easy. This is almost too good to be true. Like it's, it's a, which in New York city, somebody makes 40 times a monthly rent. They have 
10, 20 grand in the bank, the rent's two grand a month. That's perfect, right? That's, that's, you know, the shoe fits. You walk into a shoe store, you see a pair of shoes you like, you try on, it fits, you walk out of the store with that pair of shoes on. Doesn't happen that often, but you, you might be surprised that it happens, but you're not going to be like, something's up. You're not, you know, you're not thinking like there's some conspiracy or there's some fakeness to it. Yeah. We didn't think at the time, um, but this landlord didn't make any rent and the apartment is trashed. Oof. The apartment is trashed. Um, so, so let me, I want to run through some of these questions I have. James, do you have anything, any questions that you, you were thinking of? No, but I do have something that I just did a quick calculation on to, as an empirical test. Okay. Uh, to answer your question about whether or not the smart money is investing in New York real estate right now. Yeah. So I just looked at 10 years of historical population data in New York. Mm -hmm. And then I ran a quick calculation to get the growth rate. And a, the growth rate was negative 0.02%. So if I'm an investor and I'm looking to buy property in a place that people want to live, I'm going to want to look at population growth rate because that's going to be able to forecast me the future demand for real estate in that area. Yeah. So I haven't had a chance to do Charleston or South Carolina yet, but I can tell you right now that if I see a state that has essentially a dead flat growth rate in a country that has a positive growth rate and within that country, areas that have a very strongly positive growth rate, why would I take my investment dollars and put it into a state that has high regulation, high taxes, and a flat growth rate when I can go to other states that have none of those things? It's an excellent point, and it's one that every one of my clients has asked. I'm taking the Florida bar, if that answers your question. Um, it's, I will tell you, it's-, it's Is the Florida bar actually offered in a real bar? No. Because I would think uh, that it, maybe, if, maybe if any state year. would do that, Maybe it would this be year. No. Um, but I mean, I will say this at the end of the day, is New York tough? Uh, yeah, it's horrible right now. Um, but it's still a place if you want to own property that you will make money on. I mean, look, it's just, that's what it is. Look, James, you we're going to do a future podcast. Um, so I'm having this weird back and forth internally in my brain about rules. And, and religion plays a really big role in this and, and kind of gov uh, government and things like that. Like, obviously we want to push back on a lot of these laws, but then also I'm thinking like laws, there's some really positive values that we have with like religion keeping people in place and, and crazy laws keeping people in place. So it's, it's a weird line to walk. And again, that's where everything comes down to this orchestra you, you know, living in a place like New Hampshire versus living in a place like New York or California, they're just, they're, it's, it's some wild shit. Um, I got a couple of questions I want to answer, Jamie. Yeah. Um, when do the rights of an owner change the most? Because my thinking is small time property to larger property, four units or more. Mm-hmm. Um, as of last year with the HSTPA, there is no threshold that separates whether you own two units or whether you own a hundred. What? None. It applies to all units now. So there is no carve out as to procedure of how long things take or are you exempt? Do you grandfather if you own two 
or if you own 10,000, it's the same. The rules are the same. There are differences um, in the application of some of the processes if you live in a city of a million or more, which just singles out New York City, as opposed to the rest of the state. That is the only designated threshold difference. Very weird. Um, did you kind of nutshell the HSTPA? Because obviously that's not the topic of this, this podcast. Can sure. Um, what it is, is um, last June, because New York City's rent control laws were set to expire, which had previously over decades just been every eight or so years um, reissued for whatever the, the standard was at that time. Uh, basically, the people that were running in the 2018 election ran without any money given to the real estate industry. And so you had this perfect storm where for the first time in 50 years, the governor, the Senate, and the assembly were all democratic. And so instead of just renewing the rent control laws to New York City, they extended it statewide in what is now called the Housing Stability Tenant Protection Act. It was held as a um, alternative to rent control for the entire state. And instead, what we got was the most sweeping radical change to all the landlord-tenant laws in the last 50 years. And I think almost all of us were shocked by what we got. And it basically redid the entire process from the application phase through the eviction phase of all tenancies in the state of New York. And would you say it's really good for renters and really bad for landlords? I, I'd, actually say it's, I'd actually say it's really bad for both. Um, and you know, I'm a lobbyist, so it's not that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to push one over the other, but I'm trying to stabilize the industry that I work in. And what we found were things like, you're a senior, and you go to apply and we can no longer take anything more than one, one month security deposit. And now you have no income that I can go and look at in your you know, history to say, okay, you can have 40 times because you're not working anymore, but you may have $200,000 sitting in your bank account. And because of certain standards that are being put in play, um, I may not take you as a renter now, even though you could afford the rent each month, because you're a threat, um, or maybe you're a first-time home buyer. It's it it is it's as a real estate agent, who I don't care what side of whatever. I just want to do more transactions. Right. I mean, at the at the root of what I do, I just want to do more transactions. I found it. I've been turning more and more and more people away on the rent rent so, because I, because I cannot help them. And, and that that is consistent. Um, and, and that makes the homeless number go up because it's a sliding scale, right? So like if you used to be able to rent in A, you're renting in B. If you're in B, you're in C. Eventually that person down in F has nowhere to go. Yeah, sure. But I don't see so that, that slippery. To me, so I've just, I, I want to touch on this. Homeless to me, I've always thought before living in New York City was like somebody's uncle with like some dirty clothes on or like a used newspaper like, oh, shucks, like, I, I didn't get this last job, but, like, I'm going to get them, but this week I'll be sleeping on a bench. That's not homeless. And I think kind of what you're alluding to is that type of homeless person, but really what we have right now in, in New York City is this crazy crack-type epidemic, wild drug and mental health homeless thing, which is which is the far end of that slope. It's like avalanche. Uh, yeah. 
But I will say that people who could otherwise afford housing before are being turned away because of those metrics, because yeah, they're I, just I, you. Sure, but now, and again, we're talking the art of this, sure. and, but it's not, it's not good. No, it's not good. Um, and now you throw, you know, COVID on top of that and these other progressive laws that you alluded to, you know, when you said that you're, you're a liberal, you know, I don't talk politics because I got to be careful, but okay, so, I'm very so. open to things uh, and, and ideas. And when you throw some of these very crazy ideas like a cancel rent and they're throwing a virtual dance party to, to encourage people or putting signs on building that say, you know what, even if you could pay your rent, cancel rent with us because that's the right thing to do. It's dangerous. Wait, I'm, I kind of lost the thread there. Well, it was a bit there. There was a virtual dance party, and then there was people advertising rent but saying, don't pay it. Yeah, yeah and that's what, what's happening. What, what Jamie is saying is that people are putting banners across buildings, like especially in Brooklyn, a lot of places that just are saying, don't pay rent, fuck your landlord. Like this, this whole movement. That well, that's just advocating for irresponsible financial decisions because. If you don't pay rent, that that debt's going to track you. Like it's not like it just disappears. So, but no, it's I, not going to track you because you can't. If you get evicted, your your following landlord is not going to be able to even search that eviction record. So you just move on. You have to hire someone like me to to play private investigator to find that person. And most landlords, I will tell you, they don't do that because it's too much money and you cause more than the it's rent does. Because how are you? What are you going to do it for? Like you know, a buck 25 and, and like, it's not, it's not, it's going to cost a few months worth of rent to get somebody who's going to put the hours in to, to do that. I guess that's where South Carolina is different because South Carolina landlords can, can reference again, like prior eviction histories and be able to see it. And that's, and that's a weird stipulation that's new as of 2019 with the HSPPA. Uh, So uh, let me, let me think if I want, if there was anything else I wanted to, so you were talking about politics. I love politics, but like I won't, I won't commit to anything because yeah. I one we get a I think we get a pretty diverse viewership on Sip Talk, which I love. I think it's very cool. But also, I feel like my politics are ever evolving, and what I want to do is I want to I I I don't want to be the conductor, but I want to be with the conductor and be like, look, it's not, it's this, uh, this full orchestra of, it's not just all this or all that. We have to, we have to really sit down and dissect the issue. And, you know, there's some issues my mind is made up on, but, you know, I'm finding, especially when it comes to real estate, that I'm seeing some crazy, crazy shit going on. And, you know, Jamie, you know this. Uh, you know, I have kind of an eviction issue going on right now. Uh, given, I, I, in my opinion, I did everything I could have done. Yep. You know, as a business owner, uh, I've done everything in my power to keep the business up and running, which is all, I mean, I could close the business and then I'd have to go get some other job. And right. then the landlord definitely would not get paid. Mm-hmm. But I think it was very diplomatic. I paid the majority of the rent, mm-hmm. but there was a short amount of time where my business was ordered closed. Um, so I think I think I do 
span kind of the spectrum of property owner. I had the rental property in upstate New York, renter, uh, single family owner. It's, you know, so I, I, ha I have this perspective that I feel like a lot of people don't. But what drives me nuts is really the cancel, because the landlords don't have this like vicious attack on tenants, but the tenants are having this vicious attack on the, the landlords, which mm -hmm. I think is, I think it's overly vicious. It's, it's, it's easy uh, to understand though. You know, it's a self-preservation and they're mm -hmm. looking at, because, because they have to take, a lot of these people think about New York City and the theater workers. I had a conversation with somebody today uh, with Adam, who's been on the podcast a million times. And he's like, I think probably the average person must owe twenty to $25,000 in rent. And I'm like, no, I don't think it's that much, man. Because if, you know, if somebody's rent is like $2,500 to $4,500 a month in rent, they're probably not affected as much at, by the restaurants being shut down. Right. Like I believe, Justin, I've heard New York City number be at 7,000 for the average. As average. Okay, what well, that sounds, it's just, it's wild being in New York City. And I, I listen to the radio all the time and I listen to the stories and it'd be like, you know, here's, here's Miss Carney and she's got two kids and she works two jobs and she's behind $1,400 in rent. And, and I'm, it's, a, it's a weird position for me to contextualize because I'm like, so she only, she didn't pay half a month of rent because <laughs> the New York city numbers are just, are so wildly right. high for rent. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a, it's a wild and weird city because people who make six figures still live in near poverty. And mm -hmm. that's a wild thing for, it's a wild thing for other people to understand that like, Absolutely. you know, that they're not sweating their Netflix bill or their HBO Go bill, yeah. but they're sweating like, you know, uh, rent increases or property taxes or, you know, there's so many things in New York City that, that just cost so much money. All right, Jamie. Well, uh, can sorry. I interrupt real quick? Because sure. I wanted to finish my point where you, you sure. seem to be confused as to why you think that there's this vicious attack on renter, uh, from renters against landlords and it's not going the other way. And I think you're missing a psychological aspect here, which is that a lot of these renters and the renters that can't afford the rent, what socioeconomic status do they have? If they can't afford rent, they are not making much money. They're poor. And they're looking at people that have dozens of properties that have millions of dollars of value and saying, I can't feel sympathy for you because I have zero dollars to my account. And even though you're not making money off of me right now, you still have a building that's worth a million dollars, $2 million. So I have nothing. You have something, even though you're not earning something on that right now, you still have it. And I don't. So that's the psychology behind it. And I think it's easy to understand. Is it right? Maybe not. I, I agree with you from that person who is struck. And again, I have spanned quite this socioeconomical spectrum as someone who moved to New York City, sold their car to move to New York City, had $4,000 in savings, what I sold my car for. And at a certain point living in New York City had less than $200 to my name with credit card debt and a financed motorcycle. Um, that like I didn't even know how to like I'm freaking out I didn't even know how to sell it so and 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 not for like a couple of weeks but for like the span of a year plus who ate oatmeal and spaghetti um, like lived in a very difficult place with roommates 
putting pennies together, selling everything in my name to pay for rent. And then somebody who's made hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, the company has made millions of dollars. So I've spanned this. And then also I've gone from making as a company millions of dollars to losing hundreds of thousands of dollars where I'm throwing expenses like rent and this, that, and the next on personal credit cards. So I, I think, and, and I'm not arguing with you, James, because I, I'm putting myself in that, at, in that place in my lifetime, in that person's shoes. And then I'm putting myself in the shoes kind of along the, the trend line. And I, I just, I don't think the cancel rent is the best move to make. I think it needs to be much more of an outreach, much more of a collaborative, much more of rather than fuck you, I'm not paying, let's go to government and see what we can do. Because again, it's not let's give the clarinet section trumpets because they need, you know, we don't have enough instruments. We got a lot of trumpets. It's this orchestra of nuanced, you know, it's, it's the state economy, it's a city economy. To the economy of our nation, that it's it's I I just I think that cancel rent is super ignorant, and I don't think why, either of us are arguing against that against point. It, Fair enough. All right, Jamie, I still got a tough question because we, we we hit the hour mark. Um, yeah. <clears throat> all right. So let's see. Uh, can't check credit check. Uh, I can't check eviction history. Um, when do rights change the most for owners? Is it the four unit thing you're saying? It's not so much. Things buyers don't take into account. Um, politicians catering to the rich or only to the poor, which we have in New York City right now. We have AOC, de Blasio. Um, what do the majority of landlords look like? Are landlords greedy? Cancel rent, gentrification. All right, here's a tough one. Because I love Facebook groups. Yes. I, I found the place to be on Facebook is groups because yep. that's your community. Agreed. I'm in Moms of the Upper West Side. Okay. I live in the Upper West Side. <laughs> I know what's going on. All right. Yep. And obviously, when you when you're throwing the Upper West Side is where we had this crazy stuff happen in New York City, where the Upper West Side, very safe area, yep. very residential area reasonably affluent but not crazy affluent you have a very good uh range on the spectrum of of income on the upper west side my and, favorite restaurants up there and the mayor decided we were going to put a bunch of homeless people in mm -hmm. some i wouldn't say super classy hotels but yep. some nice historic hotels yep. and you brought the neighborhood where you have you know again you this range of income um, but now you have people taking a shit in the street, people like lighting themselves on fire, doing drugs in the street, put a lot of homeless people into these hotels and the neighborhood changed. I went out to eat one night and this guy was in a wheelchair. He was not wheelchair bound. He was just clinging to the wheelchair. I'm, I'm pretty certain there were drugs in the wheelchair. And he was selling drugs. I don't know what was going on, but he was freaking out. They put him in an ambulance, like you know, police sirens, multi, multi, multiple police calls, crazy shit. Um, but Facebook groups. I'm I'm in a lot of Facebook groups yep. regionally around New York City. Programs. 
Jamie, I'm going to ask you a tough question. All right, let's go. Curveball. Why, why does everybody who has a voucher or a program feel like they're so fucked? What's going on with that? And I know that's, that's, a, that's a really tough question to take. Ooh, that is a good question. So let me dissect that a little bit. Um, I think the safest people in COVID have been those on the vouchers um, because it was money that was coming into the landlord. I know like last year in April, when we got a change, actually 2019, when we got a change in the New York state budget to include source of income, you were no longer able to in New York City discriminate on the basis of the source of income. So everybody who previously had discriminated against section eight tenants or people in vouchers were no longer able to. And I, feel, I think that's still a misnomer because it happens all the time still. But why do they think they're fucked? I think what has happened is all of these rent relief bills that have come out um, every one of those people, based on metrics, should be entitled to apply to all of those rent relief bills and get their rent canceled and paid for. The problem is the hooks. And the hooks in every one of those bills have been, I'll pay all the back rent, but you've got to pay your future rent. And those people aren't working still. Whether they can't or they're not, or they don't want to, or they've been told not to, they, they have not proven they can continue to pay rent as it becomes due. And so they're not eligible for any of this. And so DSS is turning them away. So they're cutting off their tenancy ability to you know, pay for their share. Um, section eight, it's problematic because a tenant has to go through an inspection process to make sure that unit is up to code. And if let's say a landlord can no longer make improvements on recertification on, on that you know, annual review that they do at the apartment. If a landlord slipped because they have no money to put it in the unit, guess what? Section eight's gonna say, this isn't fit for you to live in there anymore. Can, We're not gonna buy. Can I, can I pause you though real quick? Yeah. I, uh, I, I posed it as a difficult question and I put you in a certain corner. I do wanna add that I know personally that you represent landlords that are very program friendly, very voucher friendly, sure. and and a lot of them prefer vouchers and work yeah. vouchers, and also take. So, Debbie, who is a mutual friend of ours, I heard. So Debbie, I, I don't know what it is. This is always stuck with me. This is always stuck with me. And she is a as a property owner and a landlord. She said, "I always change the toilet seat when someone moves out." And to me, that was like this kind of like super petty, like super small thing. And I have moved into places and not changed the toilet seat. I didn't change the toilet seat here. I don't <laughs> it's not even a soft, it's not even a soft flash, the regular toilet seat. But I thought that was a really, really nice and super sweet thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm, all I wanted to do was give you a bit of a character defense and say that you represent a lot of people who like programs or take programs, accept programs. But but still, programs remain almost impossible for the program holders to find housing. And and what's the like? You did you didn't answer my question. What's it's stigmatized. The, what's the deal with that? It's stigmatized, right? I mean, I think the problem is, and, and I guess this gets to: is this a bad landlord? Is this a miseducated landlord? 
There are just people out there. The process itself sucks. So a Section 8 tenant has to go through six different hoops to rent a unit. And therefore, the landlord has to be dragged through that process. So security deposits, they don't have to give them. Um, they can get these vouchers for, I'll pay your security deposit at the back end of your lease. That doesn't give the landlord much security. Um, it could be this inspection process where they come in and they literally nitpick everything in the unit that has to be redone. And the landlord's like, screw that. I'm just, I don't have the money to put all that money into the property, or I didn't anticipate it to your question before of, you know, what do people think about when they're buying an investment property? Well, they may just look at it and cosmetically and say it's fit for what its purpose is, but section eight disagrees and they want you to do X, Y, and Z before a tenant can habitate it. You've now wasted all that time. You can say, I'm not going to rent it to that tenant, but you can't rent it to anyone else anymore either now because of the source of income dis you know, discrimination. So I think, I think the bureaucracy of yeah. Different housing programs makes it in New York City where I can rent a place in a day if it's a good deal. And in New York City, most of the vouchers, I work in Manhattan, so most of the vouchers don't cover the market rent. However, in 2021, most of them actually do, um, given the market rent. But the bureaucracy of it, whereas I have somebody who applies on a place with a program, we schedule an inspection from the caseworker or two weeks from now, right? they want, the, the caseworker wants to review the lease, but the landlord hasn't approved them because right. the caseworker hasn't approved them. So why is the landlord gonna take this place off the market when, right. the, when, they, when the caseworker hasn't approved it? And all in the meantime, over the course of two or three weeks, I could take somebody there tomorrow afternoon and they can show me their bank statements, their tax returns, the landlord will send me a lease that afternoon because they're approved and sign a lease and they've saved themselves a month worth of rent. So I think the bureaucracy and the, and the slowness of it is a, is, a, is a big deal. And I think I, what I want to, I'm, I'm throwing you a bone here. <clears throat> I think, and this is me as not a property owner who has rental property. I think most people think people on vouchers and programs trash the properties. Mm -hmm. And sure, like that's kind of a, uh, you know, that's out there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think there's a, that's not the biggest issue. The biggest issue is the programs are very bureaucratic yep. and there's very small, you know, room for margin of, of error mm -hmm. on that landlord end. And I think the, land, you know, the landlords would like some minor tweaks to some of these programs. And also what you led with, even though you kind of were circumnavigating my question, the, the programs have been very good to landlords during this time, during the pandemic. So, um, you know, I think, yeah. I think especially the biggest issue is the, the vouchers locking landlords in at such a low rate of rent. Yep. Uh, but right now, especially in New York City, the vouchers being a pretty decent amount of money and the market rate being very low, that a lot of landlords are very open to, to the vouchers, especially 2021. And they're sure. pretty good rates. And again, we were talking about things being, uh, you know, running in cycles, ups and downs, ebbs and flows. I, I don't see rent prices over the next five years really increasing, especially in New York City. So I think landlords would be very smart right now to take vouchers. 
absolutely. There's a lot of laws coming down that are looking to cap whether you can increase rent at all. So it's something to watch. Yeah, and also I'm I'll, I will share my biggest issue with vouchers is just having to be so goddamn fucking careful. Mm -hmm. What I say. Yep. What, I what say. do you what What are the rules about what you can and can't say about vouchers? Because, uh, this because is an unknown topic to me. Legally, as a real estate agent and as a landlord, who I think this is true for vouchers, uh, who own four units plus, right? That has nothing to do with HSTPA. It's four no. units plus. So if you own more than four units or more than three units, um, you must accept vouchers. But if you're a real estate agent, you also must accept vouchers. You can't discriminate against them. But for me, I know how, here, here's how I look at it. I know most landlords in New York City, for the most part, are not going to work with vouchers. Formerly. Are not going to what? Work with vouchers. The way that the state advises I deal with that is if I meet an owner who says, I don't want to work with vouchers, what I do as an agent or as a broker, I just say, mm, okay, I can't persecute you. I will just no longer work with you. That's what the state advises. However, as a broker, that's a fine line for me to walk because I'd basically be turning away all of my landlord business. But so isn't what they're saying of, I won't work with vouchers illegal? Sure, but what am I going to do? Piss them off? And then they're just going to say, I won't work with you because we don't like you. We're, we, we don't have an obligation to work with you as a broker. We're choosing to give you our listings. We're, we're choosing to share with you our listings and vacancies. We no longer choose to do that. Or rather than send it to you every day, we'll send you an update once a month because you're a pain in my ass. And there's no, there's no law that says like they have to send it to me even if I am a pain in the ass. So it, if... If I basically force my voucher clients on the landlords, they, the landlords don't like me. So it's a really, and, and, or I force them on, they decline the voucher client, and then I decline working with them moving forward, even though my business relies on them. So it's a really tricky territory for me to walk. Um, and I mean, for me, I have such a huge heart when it, I mean, I just told you my story about owning rental property where I gave everybody and their brother a chance and no one paid me. Like legit, no one paid me. And they stole from me because I used the property as a storage place. I grew up in upstate New York. My family sold the house I grew up in when I moved to South Carolina. So I took all of my belongings and I put them in the basement. Jamie, this is awesome. And James, I think you saw it, maybe not. There was a bomb shelter in the basement I vaguely remember this. Yeah. So I used the basement as a, as a storage for my personal belongings. However, um, one of the tenants just robbed me of everything. Oh. Yeah, just wild. Um, but uh, yeah, vouchers are tough. But I think, I, think, I think vouchers, I think people have the wrong idea in vouchers. Nobody's really discriminating against vouchers. They just, every, you need to understand that landlords want rent paid. Yes. And they know when you move out, the place is going to need some work. I don't think nowadays, for the most part, landlords think the place are going to be trash. Uh, I think landlords just want market rate rent and they want the ability to raise the rent with the market. And I don't think they're intentionally discriminating against vouchers. I think, you know, for the most part, landlords just want to get paid and, and you know, that's, that's all. Sure. But, Anything I'm missing on this property ownership management landlord thing? 
Um, no, I mean, stay tuned. The laws have changed so often. Um, commercial and residential, everything's so fluid. I think it's a topic we'll probably be talking about six months from now. Um, and we'll be 18 months into this where, you know, really, if we're not out of this, what has the government done? I mean, there's a lot of federal money being thrown around now, how that's distributed. Um, does New York actually get their act together and dis disperse the funds it already has, which it hasn't had a good effort at yet. Um, you know, that's the hope that we get money into actually the hands of tenants, which um, the metrics haven't allowed yet. So we'll, we'll see. Do you think the new, uh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap up, sorry guys. Sure, no, that's good. Do you think the new administration is is going to change much when it comes to the funds and dispersion of funds and things like that? that by federal? So, you know, I think obviously they're giving more money. They're, they're finally giving money to the state, which the last administration didn't do. Um, they are giving money at the county level. If the county wants to apply for it, the counties can now. It's a matter of does New York State disperse that under the metrics we need. So things like the um, adjusted median income, um, it was set so high last time for most of upstate that hardly anyone qualified because you had to have a median income around 55,000 to be eligible for relief. Well, that's just not realistic upstate. Um, if they lower those thresholds, if they understand that the landlord should be allowed to apply as equal as the tenants, um, I think we'll start to see relief. So I, I'm hopeful. Cool. James, anything you want to throw out there? Uh, no, this is not like real estate stuff. Despite the fact that I'm trying to buy some real estate right now is not really my wheelhouse. So I, I can make, I can make comments on the accounting side of things and the psychology <laughs> side of things. I start talking about New York state rental laws and whatnot. And I was like, yeah, yeah this I'm, I'm out. Yeah, well, I, I, I try to kind of get it into just general rentals, but obviously Jamie and I have talked a lot about New York state rentals and, and Jamie knows now I'm in New Jersey. James, obviously, know I'm, I'm in New Jersey. Thank you, Jamie, by the way. You are welcome. Uh, big, big, big props to Jamie. Uh, I don't know how much business Jamie is willing to take on, but uh, what do we have? Was it Austria or Australia? Austria, and his contract did come in today, so that, that's a good thing. He signed uh, it. I, I was gonna message you later and, and mm -hmm. ask you about that. So, uh, all right, guys, we're 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 beyond the the time limit marker. I don't want to do this traditional Jamie podcast where I drink too much and ramble on. You you did very good. This is this is the first <laughs> one. You're still standing. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, Jamie was nice seeing you, James. You too. Uh, Thanks, guys. I'll catch you guys soon. Adios, guys. Cheers. See ya. All right, guys. Thank you for watching. If you're still watching, I love you guys. Still on Instagram. Sorry, it's going to get really boring after this. Yo, you have reached the end. This is the end. Um, let me know if you, uh, if you agree with us, if you disagree, if there's anything you wanted to add. Let me know in the comments. Uh, I'm excited to hear that. But as always, thank you for watching, listening, and following. See you guys soon. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.